What's going on, everybody? This is Seth, and welcome to Church in the Wild. Today, we have someone who's quickly becoming one of my good friends. Joseph Bonifacio serves as the Every Nation Campus Director in Manila in the Philippines, and he oversees about 18,000 college students and is a part of Victory Church, which has about over 100,000 people total in all of its gatherings and services across Metro Manila. He is someone who serves with an incredible amount of humility, and I'm really excited to be able to share this conversation that we had with you guys. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy. Joseph Bonifacio, welcome to the Church in the Wild. Thank you for having me. Yeah, buddy, this is going to be really fun. So you are unique in the sense that you're a pastor's kid. Yeah. Yeah, right? And so you've kind of grown up in this church. Yes. Now leading at a significant level in this church. Um, But... Father, son, pastor kind of relationships. They don't always go well. I think that's... that's yeah. Um, but you, yours seems to be good. Maybe not perfect, but good. What does it mean for you to work alongside with your dad and some of his generation of leaders that have kind of been the founding generation of your church, even our movement mm-hmm. as a whole? And how important is it to work well with them versus just kind of wait them out for kind of our wow. turn at the top, you know? yeah. I think one thing that I really love about every nation is multi-generational leadership that, that, that we're, well, we say we have, we have it in different degrees in different places. And maybe we, some people listening might think we might not have it at all in, in wherever they are, but we're, we're going for that. Like we want that, uh, even if it's just theoretically for some people. For us, what, what's really helped is well, my, my dad never asked me to go into ministry to begin with. He was always, at best, ambivalent. Like, well, do you want to do that? Like, I, and I learned later on that he was holding himself back mm. when, 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 really? I was, when I was giving my, my interest in it. So he wanted to straight call you out and call you in? And and... He, I think he was open to whatever. But I, I noticed that, because I have two other brothers, and they're both in business. One's in real estate, one's a, an, an entrepreneur, and he's, he's managing some IT. I don't understand everything he does. But <laughs> so he would hold back and say, stop talking about ministry now. Let's talk about something else. He would do that at conversations at the dinner table because he would see me getting excited and he would be scanning and he'd be like, wait, my wife and my two other sons aren't engaged because we've turned this into a meeting. And he would stop uh, and he would it. deliberately do that. Then I, I, later on, I would be like, well, at the time I was thinking, what? This, we're on a roll here. We, we might unlock something. But I learned later on that that's what he was doing deliberately. And it's because he really does that's, that's value. A good, that's a good dad right there. And yeah, and he really does value the other side of stuff. He really does care about my brother's careers. He really does care about real estate. He really does want to invest in real estate. He's interested in IT So, and my mom's art. So that, that's, that's how he is. So that helped me, you know, to not ever feel like my relationship with him was, was connected to my performance in ministry. I think with working with the older generation, if we can unlock this for our movement, it's huge. It's really valuable because so much power is generated from that. You've got experience and wisdom mm. and energy and innovation working together. Like how many people say, I wish I had the energy you know, that I had when I was younger with, with the wisdom I have now. Well, we could have that organizationally if we could know how to work together. You just can't have it in the same person. Not in the same person. You can have no. it on a team, but not in the same person. Exactly. So if we can find a way to do that, like my team's doing that to me. I'm the old guy now. I'm, I'm turning 35. But they're, ancient. they're pulling Seriously me. Seriously ancient. <laughs> 
they're pulling me along and they're like, Joe, let's, let's be faster about these things. And I'm loving their energy because I notice it in me because of all the, the, you know, this is my 10th year of doing this, just the thought of, yeah, we've tried that, that, that kind of thing. And they're like, well, maybe we can try again. Maybe it's different now. Yeah. Maybe with technology, maybe with me on the team, this could be different. That helps. If we can unlock this, think of how strong and how powerful our churches would be. Now that's tough, you know, um, it requires us honoring and listening to them. It requires them listening to us and, and, and giving freedom. Uh, when we think of people like um, David and Solomon, you know, which is probably the most positive leadership transition in, in, in among the kings, David stored up so much money and said, you're going to do this. He had a vision. He said, you're going to do this. You know, from his own personal funds, it says, you're going to do this. Solomon, on the other hand, received that, you know, but David also had to entrust Solomon and be like, these are my unresolved issues. You know, I haven't killed Joab. You're going to have to deal with him. It kind of felt like in Godfather, you know, where uh, uh, Don Vito says to Michael, you know, look out for, look out for whoever comes up to you. It's Barzini. You know, and he starts pointing out these guys. He's pointing out the giants that he wasn't able to kill. And he's saying, you're going to have to deal with this in your generation. And I think older generation people are going to have to be comfortable with that. And admitting to the next generation, I didn't get to all of these things, but you will. Because sometimes I think older generation guys, to admit that means to admit my generation wasn't perfect. Mm. My generation didn't get to do everything. I'm sorry I'm leaving behind some minefields for you to navigate, which we do. Yeah. You know, I've, I'm leaving stuff behind to, to the people I've raised. And I've had to admit, because they're like, Joseph, why do I have this problem? <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, I left that there. Yeah, I'm sorry I really about stunk that. at that. So yeah. <laughs> congratulations. Yeah. So thanks for fixing it. Yeah. And, but that's freeing to the next generation. Because to force them to pretend like everything's perfect, it's like, am I, am I taking crazy pills? Am I the only one who's seeing this? Because all the leaders are telling me that this is fine, but I don't feel like it's fine. That's tough. One of the big differences that's always spoken of in Eastern versus Western cultures is the honor uh, aspect. Mm, okay. Um, I'm, I'm interested to hear you articulate what you mean when you say to honor uh, the older generation to, to honor your leaders. I don't know if that's a native language oh, okay. for, for, a, for a Westerner. Okay. Um, cause I hear the word, I agree with the word. We, like we use the word it's, it's like, it's on slogans and stuff in like, you know, corporate mission statements and stuff like that, I guess. Um, but you know, whether it has to do with the deterioration of the nuclear family, you know, in Western society, the absence of fathers, either physically mm-hmm. or or emotionally, whatever else, like that, that's pretty dang rampant. Uh, I rarely meet a college student that comes from an awesome home with a great dad. There are a few out there and they're amazing. And there's just so many more that aren't. So the whole idea of what it even looks like to honor, even if we wanted to honor, which mm-hmm. I don't know that everyone even does, would, is just a very difficult thing. So when you say it, I'm just really curious, what, what do you... What does well, that look like for you? What does that mean to you? Well, let me uh, admit, first of all, that we, we can go too far. Talk about Eastern yeah, culture. Yeah, for like sure. Ridiculously too far. Like blinded, uh, controlled, um, stifled, you know, everything. You know, we can really take that too far. And people can either be demanding of it. Like we've seen church leaders who, who demand that. We've seen parents demand that like you choose I'll choose who you marry that's how I that's how you honor me and you don't do anything without you know you don't ever tell me I did anything wrong that's how you honor me we have leaders like that you know in in, in Asian cultures and, and it's really really bad and we have it being perverted on the next generation level too where next generation people will turn off 
their critical thinking. We'll turn off their discernment. We'll turn off listening to God out of a, this misguided value of honor. You know, well, I'm supposed to honor my parents, so I'm not, I'm going to disobey God, basically. It's like, what? So we can't do that too far. Yeah. Um, what we mean by, and what we're trying to go for, which I feel is a healthier balance, and it's hard to arrive at all the time, is one value. We value the, the older generation. You might have gotten stuff wrong. You might have set us back, but I value you. I wouldn't be here without you. Yeah, that's well said. And I think it's not, it's not, there's nothing wrong with admitting that. You can admit that. You can admit that there was something wrong while saying, I value you. Um, the other thing that's cr- crucial for us is saving face. Mm. Giving a person a chance to save face. Now, again, we can pervert that by saying, let them save face, never correct them, never deal with the issue. That's your way of saving face. No, we have to deal with that because that's love. Loving is more important than than protecting whatever you know image that person has from themselves. And like you said earlier, people know what's wrong. So I'm not helping you save face by denying that there's anything wrong. Everybody right. just thinks I'm crazy along with you. Yeah. But if we can acknowledge that there's something wrong, but I do honor you, value you, help you save face for the stuff you do get right, the stuff you have gotten right, and, and we help you find that lane, then that's, that's perfect. So we had a transition like that in the Philippines. This one guy who's an amazing campus director. He's 45. He's ridiculously fit. Like last week, he just showed a video of himself dunking again at no 45. Way. Ridiculous. And Filipino dunking at 45. <laughs> Is this like he's a... six three? Yeah. Oh yeah. man, Has this, this should feel like it should be in a record he's book. He's blonde or with blue eyes. Yes. Yeah, so. Is he really? No, I'm just kidding. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe it's my cousin. I got a yeah. Filipino cousin over there. No, he's uh, he's amazing. He grew a campus ministry from zero zero students, like no service, to 2,000 people in the service. All right, from zero to 2,000. It was amazing. The problem was, as it got bigger, he couldn't handle the administrative and organizational workload that he now had in his campus ministry. And I watched his next generation guys, guys he led to the Lord, join the ministry, love him so much, but really just chafing under his leadership because they're like, this isn't working. This is not what you raised us to do. And we had a number of sensitive conversations where they would tell him outright. It took a while because first they would complain to me, they would complain to other people, and I would point them back to him. And I would call him a sudden and say, hey, you know, know, Brian just talked to me, Lester just talked to me. We got to talk about this. And this guy with this humility just said, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't be the leader. I like being on the ground. This is what got us here put me back on the ground. And so he transitioned into the, the guy he led to the Lord um, six years before. And he said, Brian, you lead this. You tell me what to do. I'll be on the ground. And Brian honored, uh, his name's Robert. I love Robert. And he, Robert Gonzalez, and he, he honored Robert. And we do. And we, to that's us, amazing. we see the value of that because yeah. we're like, that was a, to me, that's like a... That's a kingdom move right there. Yeah, that's like a Michael Jordan in against the Lakers, right? Yeah, hand to left hand. hand. Yeah, hand. That, that's going to be an all-star play in my mind in our campus ministry because Robert did that. And Brian didn't do it and say, nah, now that he's gone, we're going to fix everything that he got wrong. No, he, he really honored and valued Robert that way. We're not saying he was right. He didn't get a lot wrong organizationally. But the stuff he got right wouldn't have gotten us here. Yeah. Um, 
Robert eventually went and he said, after serving under Brian for a while, he went and planted his own campus ministry again, and he's growing that again. He's just a monster. If I had a campus ministry, like a campus, and I need my best guy on it, he'd be one of my first choices. Really? Yeah. More than me, for sure. <laughs> I think about my transition here, because this church existed long before me, mm. and um, I feel like I've just failed my way forward, you know, in so many different ways, you know, <laughs> and I've done so many, I, I look back in hindsight and realize, you know, things have gone really well, and I realize now why things have gone really well, and they were, you know, you could call it sovereignty of God, providence of God, God just really helped me in that grace of God, 100%, mm -hmm. but from my standpoint, looking back, they were just like, yeah, I just... I got lucky. I made a few mistakes and good decisions. And one of them was, you know, when I took over, the church was in a lot of turmoil. The church mm -hmm. was, you know, functionally about to cease close. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, the leader before me was, was having a really tough go of it and stepped down. And, um, and the associate leader, you know, who was kind of the obvious guy to take over, had also stepped down. And so I took over as a, as a relative unknown. Um, and the church was in a really, really tough spot. And uh, there wasn't a whole lot of ways to imagine, you know, pulling out. But one of the things I did early on was I actually invited back some of the um, pastors that we had had in years past. Mm. And so Bruce Fiddler was one of them. Mm. And, um, and uh, even the associate pastor, after he moved to Portland, I made, it, uh, made a point of it to invite him back several times. And it was, it was nothing else other than, I mean, I love those guys and really respect them, but it was just to honor them. And, yeah. and the fact that, yes. you know what, I didn't start this church, they did. Yeah. And even though I'm picking up this church is probably it's at its lowest moment in its history, there's still something here. Yes. And it was actually something that I didn't build. I didn't establish mm -hmm. this. And there mm -hmm. was a bedrock really here mm -hmm. that was laid by men like the former pastor, John, and the pastor before him, Bruce. For all the mistakes that they that they made, there was there was plenty for sure, and just their personalities and so forth. Like there was ways they were strong and they were weak, but there was so much strength here yeah. and potential yeah. here that I was given as mm -hmm. a gift, and simply just bringing them in and having their voices to be heard and their contributions being honored. It's almost like it settled the congregation down to say, mm -hmm. we don't have a young guy that's just going to rewrite the script, <laughs> you know, like think he hit a triple when he just was born on third, yep, you know, yep. we, we have a guy that's really, he's honoring the past and therefore we'll trust him for where he wants to go in the future. Yeah. And that, that was a huge turning point for us. It got buy-in from our older members. And even as we had new wow. people come in and grew, wow. I think there was still that anchor of honor in place. Um, knowing that, hey, we're not going to dismiss our history. We're not mm -hmm. going to throw that under the bus. We're not just going to say it was all a mistake. No, there was a lot of great things that happened, a few bad things that happened. We'll own up to that. We'll learn from that. But we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater yep. with, yep. the, with the honor conversation. And I, I, I fought hard for that. You know, you fight hard for that, uh, in every way that in every way that you can. And I think that's really important, especially for young leaders to learn. The problem is... Um, when you're when you're following, I think it's a lot easier to be critical, yeah. you know, to find fault yeah. and to be impatient uh -huh. with, with leadership. Uh -huh. But you don't know until you're in the seat, you know, as a senior pastor or a director at the level that you're at, you just don't understand all the factors that are going in oh, every decision definitely. and every implication that's yep. going to be come from, you've got a crazy idea, but I can tell you like all the ways that this could go sideways mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. all the ways it definitely will go sideways. And, and what has to go into that? Yes. And once you put on that weight and realize that weight, it, 
you know, I've heard stories from several pastors, you know, they send out church planners, you know, that were just biting at their heels the whole time. They send them out and within like a month, they'll call back sobbing. <laughs> just like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I have people now doing to me what I was doing to you for years. I'm so sorry about that. Um, it's really, it's a tragedy. It really is a tragedy. And yeah. uh, it seems like if we can repair this multi-generational dynamic of how ministry could look, you're right. We're going to get an all-star team of the innovation and energy. And you with did that here. See, because you were able to pull in whatever good you could from the older generation. That's right. And that unlocked what you were able to do for the next generation. And that's why something yeah. that was, like you said, at its lowest point could bounce back so quickly because you got healthy. Yeah. You know, so we can wait on the smarts, but we got to be healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I mean, people always are going to have a fear of change, right? Yeah. But when they know that you're you are going to honor the things that are right and that are good. They're going to be willing to adapt in order to improve it. But if you're just going to say like, Hey, it was all a mistake and your entire spiritual story was, um, you know, was there's no value to it because we can't build on it, you know, in any way, we're going to rewrite the script here entirely. I can't imagine a leader getting buy-in in in that way. You know what I mean? Like that's just not, that's just not going to work no matter how bad a leader is. I think, you know, even if, and this was not the case, we didn't have any leader that, you know, senior pastor here that, you know, fell into some huge immoral sin or, or anything like that. Um, but even if that was the case, you know, even if it was a grotesque case of like embezzlement or adultery or, or like something like that, um, the fact is you still have to honor God in getting the church where it is, honoring that process while then, and then being able to call them to, and here's where we're going to grow and yes. take whatever yes. redemptive foundation here and move yeah. forward. I think that's really, really good. I, I love that you said uh, to honor God that way because that's really what it comes back to. It really is about him, not the yeah. leader. Yeah. And w- what I say sometimes to our staff back home when they complain about the senior pastor or some or someone like that, I'll say, okay, what did God tell you to do? Because if this person is really that as horrible as you described, then resign. You know, don't waste your life. Just leave. I don't want you to disobey God uh, over this issue. But if God's telling you to stay, then what are you going to do? You, yeah. you find a way to make this work. Because it definitely doesn't honor God for us to lead and, and just backbite and fight one another and all of these things. And we don't have perfect setups back home. We have lots of issues too. I can think of right now just some nightmare scenarios, you know, that, that we're working through. If you're that big, you're going to have a lot of nightmares. Yeah. yeah. And just constantly telling them, just honor God, honor God, honor the person. To honor doesn't mean you admit that they're right, you know. So some of our campus Mm. directors, what they're doing is it's almost like they're trying their best to shield (laughs) the the campus ministry or the next generation from the negative influences of some of the higher leadership. But that's what they have to do. And in the meantime, honor them and not let those young people see the resentment as much as they can. Now they'll feel some of it for sure, but not let them see the resentment, not let them feel the dishonoring or that there's really a division there because that's not good for them to grow up in. Yeah. You know, when I was younger, my dad didn't tell me about some of the dysfunctions he had with his dad. Not until I was much older. And I'm like, why is, why are you like that? Why is the family like this? He goes, well, because my dad, you know, met the Lord later in life and like, oh, did not know those things, but he didn't want me to, to grow up hearing him complaining about his dad. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I, um, I'm always kind of fascinated by this and I, I, I feel like one of the great cautions of, you know, you reap what you sow, right? 
And so the younger generation that invests all of its energy into the critique and the deconstruction and the tearing down, um, spending a lot of negative energy, you know, thinking about the people that are ahead of them and so forth. Mm -hmm. I I just think, man, it's going to come back on you. You know what I mean? Like you can't sow that out. Um, and expect to receive honor somehow, you know, or, or expect that the game's going to be, I'll show them, I'll outperform them, I'll do it better than them. No, there's still going to be a generation coming up behind you that's going to be just as arrogant as you are and going to take, even if you do do it better than them, they're still going to find yeah. a way to tear it apart. Yeah. Um, it sure, but it sure seems like it's, that's the difficult tension of working of working multi-generationally, yeah. of finding leaders that are really willing to honor God, not just trying to build their own legacy, right? Yeah. But are really just trying to honor God and be faithful and empower the next generation as much as they can, not really concerned with the endurance of their name or their model yeah. or their whatever, um, whatever that they've kind of instituted, but really caring about how there's going to be enduring move of the kingdom that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's produced out of the seeds of mm-hmm. the generations that they've invested in. Um, and, and then a generation like that, that rises up that says, you know what, I, like I actually and actively want to work with the older generation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when we rebuilt here, I, uh, everyone talks about their campus ministry stories like, uh, but my, I was spent four years as a campus minister and I, I, uh, I had a lot of success myself. I took, uh, 200 students that I was, I was given as a campus director and, uh, over about two years, I grew it to two. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's an impressive rate. That's not 2000. Yeah. That's just two. <laughs> um, and so when I took over as a pastor, it turns out I wasn't a great campus minister, but as a pastor, um, the thing that flipped that I wish I would have done as a campus minister was stopped relying exclusively on the campus to reach the campus. And when you actually empowered other generations to start not even being on campus or yeah, but just yeah. care about the yeah. campus, just care about yes. it. If you can invite them over for dinner, it's going to be the only home cooked meal they have yes. all term. Yes. Uh, if you can pray for them every now uh-huh. and again, that'll really matter. Like if you can open up your homes and host small groups where students actually feel welcome in them. And that's all we did and quickly grew to several hundred students. Wow. Simply just doing that. You know, no missionaries, no campus missionaries, no paid staff that are out there doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, no formal leadership structure development path for, mm-hmm. for students. Mm-hmm. Just really empowering the everyday person to, to love and care for a generation that was not theirs. Yep. Yep. And I think there's so much power in that. I think, uh, I think the church is going to have to wake up that I don't want to just dismiss the value of youth ministry and campus ministry and doing the kind of segregated generational life path sort of model. I think there's value there and there's moments and purposes for that. But I think we've also missed the cross-generational benefit that comes when wisdom speaks down. And my goodness, if there's anything I've noticed from the millennial generation is that they are, uh, and younger, you know, that they they are starving for spiritual parenthood. Yep. Starving for it. Yep. They don't, I don't see people caring as much about a really charismatic leader, like peer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It seems like there is way more of like, let's find who's the most kind of charismatic, young kind of voice out there. I just hear more and more just people tending to lean more into, I want, I want someone who's going to care for me like a spiritual father would speak into my life like a spiritual father yep. would. I don't care if they're the funniest or the most creative or anything <laughs> else or best dressed. Um, I think, you know, guys that are still trying to rock the faux hawk and, you know, and uh, shop at H and M, you know, into their fifties, you know, might maybe need to reconsider their life, you know, just reconsider that there's value. Like the, the Bible ascribes value to our age and our wisdom yes. that we have to, yes. to pass on, not just our relevance of how no, young yeah. we still feel like we yeah. can appear. 
I feel like that's something a lot of people really need to hear. Yeah, and I, I super agree with what you said in that. You liked the faux hawk comment, though, didn't you? <laughs> you liked that, didn't you? We have to work with some staff like that where uh, you're not their age and they can tell. And don't try to be. Yeah, and it's like that, that, that meme with Steve Buscemi where he goes, hey, what's up, fellow kids? Have you seen that one? Hmm. He's just hmm. like a high schooler. And he, he, Steve Buscemi. <laughs> <laughs> They can tell. They can they tell can the tell. difference. But you don't need to, yeah. which is which is great because I'm not going to be that way. Yeah. Like we were talking about yesterday, like playing the old guy card. Man, this is so much fun. And it is more fun. I, Isn't it fun? I love it. I, love I it. felt like my life didn't like really get cooked until I was 30. <laughs> I, like in terms of knowing myself and the level of impact I was able to have, especially on younger people. Ministering as a peer was fun, but ministering as someone who's starting to appear yeah, yeah. more and more, not yeah. a... Totally. I'm still in my 30s, but starting to put more and more as a father-ish figure. Father-ish. I like that. Yeah. It's, it's grow. I, I can't wait to be 50. Like, it's just, I can see. And still be doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Because you carry, you just carry more weight in their lives. That the simplest of words you say yeah. actually matter to them. And you don't have to stay up as late because you can be like, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm old. I'm sleepy. Y'all can go party. And I'll, they're like, yeah. I'll disciple you in the morning. And like, they give you a pass. I'm like, yeah, I'm going home. <laughs> yeah. It's nine o'clock. It's, it's amazing. I'm in bed. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I remember uh, we had uh, a young lady in our church, an amazing leader, and uh, she was uh, leaving for, for a season to go uh, do some work out of country, and she was having a go away going away party. And it was at the going away party, you know, she was, she was great. She'd really grown in our church, and we'd kind of given her some responsibility, and she's just amazingly talented and really done so well and overcome like there's insecurities and different mm -hmm. things, you know, in her life. And I just, I just watched her grow wow. and at her going away party, you know, gave her a, a hug goodbye. And, and, uh, I remember telling her, man, I'm really proud of you. And you know, I've never really said that a ton. Um, and it's never made much of a difference when I ever did, but for some reason at this specific moment with this young lady, um, me saying that like, like she got all teared up. Like I started getting all teared up. Like, mm. and it was, it was this moment where, Oh, like the simplest word I'm proud of. You. And it mattered yeah. primarily because of where I was at my life. I wasn't yeah. 25, uh, you know, on campus as a missionary. Yeah. I was now 35 or whatever, yeah. or whatever I was at the time, um, as a pastor and a, a kind of spiritual parenthood role. Yeah. That's fun stuff, man. Yep. Uh, man, I wish, I wish more leaders would own that, not be quite as insecure by this youth vanity kind of driven sort of culture. And I think we don't see it because the world's system of honoring and finding out who the best leaders are does not recognize that. It's like a test. Like a, it's like it, it doesn't show up in any of the measurements that we have. So we have pastors with huge social media followers with, who get invited to events, who say you know, controversial things and write controversial books. And that's what the next generation sees. So when they're looking at the leaders, they're looking like, okay, who am I gunning for here? Who am I trying to be like and even surpass? That's what they see. And if we really want that, then we need, I don't know how to do this without ruining it, you know, but make the right kinds of stars and the mm. right kinds of models and, and help people see. And, and, and young people need to know, what am I looking for? You know, I shouldn't be impressed by that. And that's what we work hard to train our staff and our leaders with. Like, don't be impressed with the guy with the crowd. Look at the guy with the sons and daughters. Yeah. Don't be impressed with the guy who, who got invited to that concert and got invited to that event. 
All right. Look at the guy who's got people who he turned over the thing to when it's growing bigger than him. So like Robert, to me, that's one of the things I talk about that story. When I say when you can be a guy who can grow something to multiple thousand and step down and give it to somebody you raised. Now you're a leader. Now you're on the map until you've done that. You aren't even close. Mm. So but don't tell me you got invited to that conference. That doesn't matter. Yeah. That's not significant. So thank you for inviting me today, though. But, yeah, uh, yeah, no, and I love I love that you that you talked about that. That's highlight reel stuff. Like kingdom highlight reel mm-hmm, is going to be mm-hmm. those kind of decisions that yep. look like stepping down yep, in order to yep. allow something to go further, rather than the guy that just crushed it and pulled up this zenith moment of some amazing conference or crowd that he pulled in. And like you said, zenith. What happens after that is everything's downhill from then. That's why it's a zenith. True. That's why nobody know. That's why everybody notices that moment because everything sucked after that. But can you be the guy who builds something that keeps growing and you weren't the peak? Yeah. But look at how high it is now because of what you did. Wow. All right, we're going to start dabbling in conviction into my own soul here if we keep going in this conversation. Okay. <laughs> no, it's so good. Like viewing your life and the trajectory of your life and living it in the kind of way that your peak is not the peak of your impact. Oh, definitely. Hopefully. That would be so... I would quit now if, that's what, if God said that that's what's going to happen to my life. That when you peak, your your impact peaks. That's, oh gosh, not even my impact, but the impact of the team that I'm leaving. Like This right. is the maximum moment. I would just feel so bad. I'd be like, what the, <laughs> like, what am I doing? Yeah. You know, I, I'm just, I'll just quit, you know, pick a job with more money and just get more comfort for myself because that, that oh gosh, that would be horrible. Yeah. So like the guys now who were empowering to raise or no, no let me do, go with someone else. CJ Nunak, who was my partner and in, in being the director and leading the campus ministry in the Philippines. He was not the most charismatic guy. He wasn't. But he, he's a spiritual father. And you see just young men and women all over the Philippines who he raised up. He didn't have the biggest youth service. It was probably, what, 500 at its peak or 300. Mm-hmm. But he had sons and daughters. And he sent people out like crazy. And now he's transitioned. He's leading our church in the U-Belt, which is the first uh, church in the Philippines that every nation ever had. And he, he's just a spiritual father. And until now, he'll show up in our campus events. And people just gravitate towards him. Um, because they know who their fathers are, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. So you want to be that guy. You want to be that guy, that woman who people's lives are different because of you. You know, like you might not be the one on every social media post, but those people recognize you as being the one who got them there. That should be the goal. So when we make that the goal for the next generation, because social media won't make that the goal. You know, the world culture, the, the latest books won't make that the goal. So you have to teach them that. Like, this is the goal. Ian, the guy who's leading, who's, who would take, if anything happened to me, he would take over. He's like a fathering machine. Like, I mean, the campus missionaries he's raised, one of them used to be a garbage collector in the Philippines. Never, you know, didn't have a good job, didn't have a good career. Now he's an amazing preacher, amazing discipler. And we saw that in Ian and we were like, that's the guy. We want leading this thing if Joseph leaves. Because he doesn't have the biggest group, but he can raise sons and daughters. He had a, now this one's tragic. We lost a campus missionary last year mm. to cancer. He's like 23, mm. 24, I'm guessing. And Ian pastored that guy when he was in high school. He pastored him when he was in high school, grew up when he was in college, was, recognized the call of God in his life, helped him get into ministry, helped him buy his first suit. 
because he never owned a suit before. So he said, well, you know, you, you need one for your graduation and might, might be nice to have one, like look decent every once in a while. Helped him buy his first suit. And so Ian, the way he says it is, I helped this guy buy his first suit. And that's what he was wearing when I had to buy his coffin. Wow. And Ian was there in every moment. And, and the way he talks about it, I mean, that guy, he does this leadership development at the level that I'm learning from. He, he teaches me. He says, Joe, you got to find your steroids, the steroids of this guy. Like, what is it to do? That steroids? They, the steroids that they do. Okay. Like, if you let them do this, it, it makes them come alive. Mm. And you got to give them that because you're going to give them stuff they don't like. So you got to let them have their steroids every once in a while. So they're like, okay, now I'm happy. I can go back to doing the, the, the thing I don't like to do <laughs> that you're asking me to do. I'm like, oh, I never knew that before. I mean, I've seen That's that That's really profound. Yeah. And the other thing he said was be there for their milestones. This is something I'm really bad at because I'm not good with celebrating my milestones. Like my birthday... Like, don't celebrate that. That, that, that. That's a favor to me. You make me go to a party where I have to be nice to everybody. Like, oh, gosh, she just punched me. <laughs> so, so I'm not good with my own milestones. But other people's milestones are significant. You know, like, it matters to them. So Ian makes a note of that. When did you get saved? When did you go into ministry? When's your anniversary? When's your birthday? When was your first preaching? He remembers those things. Yeah. And he's got them on file somewhere in his computer. He's not like he knows it by memory. There are people like that. He's not like that. But it comes up. He's automated his life so that it comes up like that. And he'll send a person a text. Hey, this was your first preaching. And I look at you now. I'm so proud of you. That's it. Wow. Massive. So that's the kind of leadership oh, we geez. need to be. That's so great. I'm so bad at that. He's amazing at that. He's teaching me. That's the kind of leadership we need to paint the people. Because young people are looking. They want to they take over. They want to run. But they don't see that example. So we set that example for them, then, ah, that's, that's the mountain to climb. That's the achievement to go for. That's the peak I want to get to. So, great. Where would we be if we could have young people who are gunning for that and not gunning for multiple thousands on social media and not gunning for, you know, having my name on everything or being a best-selling author only? If you are, that's great. But what are you leaving behind? And how much better are they because of what you've done? Yeah. Yeah. Books just don't make impact. I mean, I, we get inspired by them, but yep. they're one of thousands, you know, yeah. that might be even just sitting on our shelf, but people, you know, people yep. that actually sit with you in your living room, you know, and shed tears with you, you know, uh, I mean, you're just, you're saying all this. And I think one of the hard things about, you know, being a spiritual you know, father or mother for that matter is that the people that do it so well, do it so well, you don't even know they're doing it. Yeah. You know? It's hard to break it down. <laughs> it is hard to yeah. break it down. I mean, I think about some of the spiritual fathers in my life and I'm like, why do I consider them a spiritual father? And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. oh. <laughs> and like, you never know they're doing it to you when they're doing it. It's like a Jedi mind trick almost. And what's funny is when you ask them about it, if you've tried. No, they don't. They can't give you. It's just natural. And they're like, did that make an impact on you? I don't even remember that yeah. moment. Like sometimes the most formative thing for you, they're like, oh yeah, when was that again? <laughs> like, they don't remember. Yeah. Because it was just coming out of them. Yeah. And that's, that's the hard part where it's a lot of tiny things and you never know which one's going to, going to be the big rock that, that, that's right. that really is the foundation for their soul. So, but that discipline of just being yeah. there and staying connected. There was a, there was actually a football player several years back, um, and that was going to our church and since moved away as, as, uh, as a lot of them do, obviously. And, um, we were meeting together, uh, weekly. We did it for, I don't know, maybe a month, couple months. It didn't seem like it was all that long. It was no more than 10 meetings. I promise you okay, that. Okay. Okay. And every time we would meet, I was kind of like, this is just 
boring. I mean, it's just like I, I felt like it, I loved the guy. I saw potential in the guy. He was, he was kind of struggling with some stuff, and I really I wanted the best for him. But I mean, there was like no aha moments. Uh -huh. I'm not dropping like this truth that's changing him. And he's like, not reacting like in tears. No, 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 no. He's just kind of still, he's like happy to be there, whatever. Yeah. But he's not like, <laughs> you know, engaged, you know, like or this is a life changing All in. Yeah, no, no, no. He's, you know, he could easily be somewhere else. <laughs> and, uh, And then I remember, like, it was it was much after the fact. I saw him like I saw him like a year later, like after he had left, kind of thinking back. It's like, oh man, man, those times when you and me would meet, man, gosh, they were they changed me. And I'm just so <laughs> thankful for that, you know. And like that's, man, I just that's that's when I knew I was a part of family. And like, like going off on all these things, I'm like, oh man, like and I see him now. Even the trajectory of his life now, he's a dad. Yeah, he's yeah. awesome. Like he's. Um, you know, he like he really loves God in ways that he he didn't, you yeah. know, before. You know, did you feel guilty for not finding the moments as significant as he did at the time? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I, I just I mostly felt convicted that it it is those small, menial, yeah. consistent yeah. moments. Yep. It's not the flash in the pan stuff. Yep. It really, really isn't. Um, and I just don't do that enough because oh, there's no big movement happening. Yeah. There's no. Pop, flash, wow. And there's no um, reward? No, there's yeah. no reward mechanism for it. There. You only get it much further down the road when someone looks back. Yeah. And the way our memory works is we tend to condense all the boring moments and 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 just kind of condense it down to like the overall effect of it. Yeah. And then we remember the overall yes. effect. Yes. So I don't, re so like on a road trip, right? I don't remember the hours of kids fighting in the back seat as mm -hmm, much as I mm -hmm. condense it down to like, oh, but we had this amazing moment yeah, standing yeah. in line at Disneyland yes, and yes. we all laughed together at, at my third son's joke. And like, it was this moment where we felt like we were a family, you know what I mean? So I condensed this whole yeah. week down. 90% of it was hell to, you know, <laughs> to this moment of joy. And that's somewhat discipleship work. Yep. It's this moment of boring monotony. Sometimes it's failure. It's, it's unpleasant sometimes, but then it gets looked back in hindsight where you realize the work that God did. Exactly. Condensed, you know. Exactly. We just had, I just had a chance to catch up with the, the guy who discipled me when I was 16, 17, 18, like those years. And uh, he's our senior pastor now in Madrid, Spain. His name is Mel Kalingo. We called him Bong. We had to change his name for obvious <laughs> reasons. That's a common Filipino nickname for Bong? those of you who don't know. Yes, Bong is common. Yes. Well, that's good to know. And it can come from every name. It's ridiculous. You can like, it's a, a, like it's a nickname. Like it's a, a nickname, but it can come from any name. Uh, like it can come from Emmanuel. That and you call him Bong. Yeah, it could come from a Rodolfo. Oh, like a William and you call him Bill kind of a thing. Yes, of. but Emmanuel, Rodolfo, and, and several others could all be Bongs. Bongs. Yeah. That's awesome. Lots of Bongs in the face. I say roll with it, man. Forget it, man. <laughs> it's we it's like weed's legal here in Oregon anyway. Well, so if he was just, ever to come here, he could get his name back. <laughs> he could totally get your name and get street cred at the same time, you know? <laughs> but I was, I was telling him, we were having lunch, and I said, Mel, man, 20 years ago, when you were, when you were discipling me, I'm just so thankful. And he had the most confused look on his face. Like, I remember you, you knew so much already. Like, I don't know what I taught you. Like, yeah. he just looked, he honestly looked, he was like shaking his head. Like, cause I, I think when every time I would say that before, because we didn't have this long conversation about it, he thought I was just being nice. Like, yeah. just being honoring. But I'm really being sincere and I'm gushing and over and over. And he's looking at me like, what did I do? Like, I don't know what you're, what you're so thankful for. And I said, no, you taught me. I was a private school kid, lived in a gated community. You taught me how to take Jeeps and how to commute and ride buses. You taught me where to eat, to relate to the public school kids. You put me in a small group with all these public school kids, people who I never would have known. 
outside of the church. I never would have crossed paths with. And I don't know where I'd be as a human being today wow. if I didn't have these experiences, if I didn't know that the majority of Filipinos live this way. If I didn't have dinner in their houses, it's one thing to invite them to my house. It was another thing to go to their house and see where they live on a daily basis, how they eat. And that, that just inform. I can't remove that from my thinking today. Yeah. I said, you did that. And he goes, I did do that. I didn't have money. So I, I couldn't ask, I, I, I couldn't believe that you would, you know, take cabs everywhere. You had to take buses. I couldn't yeah. go with you because I didn't have money to pay for them. So you had to take the bus with me. I'm like, oh, okay. His reasoning was a lot more pedestrian than I thought. Yeah, that's right. But it really had an impact on me. Yeah. And especially in campus ministry, but I guess church in general, are we willing to be that person for somebody else? Yeah. Are we willing to, to be the one who, and maybe they won't remember because, you know, these are, we're talking about the moments where they do remember. But I'm sure there were lots of other people besides that football player that you had coffee with that's yeah, similar. Yeah, I'm Who sure. haven't called you. Yeah, Lord willing, there was many, like, <laughs> hopefully, for sure. Yeah, I, I, it's, so many of this is just helping me just to just affirm, you know, like one of, uh, one of my really prized kind of of the last 10 years, um, spiritual father has been Jim Lafoon. Mm. And he's a name that kind of gets rattled around a lot in our every nation world. And he's just a magnificent guy. And, um, but you know, I think about what he has done mm. and it's not much more than a text message here, a text message there. Wow. Yeah. Um, just to check in. But if I ever text him or he texts me and I reply anything less than a thumbs up, like it's a phone call and the phone call is rarely more than like, yeah, I don't know. It's not like a long call. It's not more than like 20 minutes, you know, necessarily. Um, but you just know that is accessible anytime yeah, and that's, yes. that's all you need. And you know what the other thing he does that I've, I've kind of, I've noticed and I, I finally gave language to this cause I've, I always try to figure out like, what makes people good at what they do, right, especially right, right, a guy right. like him, people that are just so innately gifted. What or, are they doing? Yeah. What are yeah. they doing? Yeah. Cause I mean, I mean, you and I are both introverts, right? I'm a pretty hardcore introvert. Yeah. And so like, I'm not naturally social. I'm like, I study <laughs> and investigate and learn how other people are social. Yes, and then I kind of yes. like mimic that. Like an alien. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, a little bit like that, like an alien. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's what I do. And I, I watch the way he comes into my home. And I, I like to say that uh, he has the, Jim LaFun has the gift of reverse hospitality. Reverse hospitality. Yeah. He makes you feel. We heard it here first, guys. Reverse hospitality. He makes you feel more comfortable in your own home. Ah, how does he do that? Well, because I've I've no, actually see, never been to see, his house before. Me so hospitality is like I welcome you into my space mm -hmm. and make you feel like my space is your space. You're totally comfortable. Yes. But when a guest comes into your home and you kind of you're on on edge a little bit as the host and you're wanting to make mm -hmm. them feel comfortable, he walks in already as if it's his own home. So comfortable puts you at the as the host at so much ease because he's having so much fun with what he's you're just doing. himself. It's his house. Yes. His feet are up on the couch and the way he's talking to and you. To and you as a host that means it relaxes me yes it's like oh he's just i don't have to perform he like straight you know he'll straight tell my wife he says like uh you know hannah one time asked him like pastor jim can i get you something to drink he's like oh hannah you don't have to do that just because you know just because i'm here you know i, I know where the fridge is he's like no pastor jim you know, i'd really love to serve you he's like oh well you know i'd like a chocolate milk if you got it you know? <laughs> <laughs> he says like oh and like seth seth if you want a drink i'm telling you right now if you want a bourbon on the rocks you want a glass of wine you get whatever you don't you don't censor your beverage order in front of me son you understand like, you know i didn't even want alcohol 
alcohol. Mm. I don't really like alcohol, mm. but I wanted alcohol just when he said that because he just gave me total permission to be free and who I was, and it didn't matter. I want to test know? this thing. Like, yeah, I was like, no, I actually chocolate milk too, honey. Can I get a chocolate milk also? Like, <laughs> so I anyway, think, he's yes. got. That's an amazing gift that that when you, I feel like a spiritual father, like they can come into your space. Mm-hmm. And it's not like this awkward moment where they feel like a foreign alien. Mm. They can walk in really secure in who they are yeah. and, and put you at ease, you know. Because yeah, we feel like they might be critiquing us if they're being awkward. Sure, that's right. You know, but when they're having fun and they're like, don't worry about me, I'm good. Because yeah. I feel that sometimes in our events, because it's like a campus event. Like last year we had our, our ENC conference in Manila. And they're all there, you mm-hmm. know. We've got the apostolic teams there and the senior pastors are there. And I'm thinking... I didn't get them to speak. You know, yeah. so some of them are speaking, but right. most of them aren't. So I kind of feel bad that they're not doing anything. But when they're happy audience members, and I think of like Pastor Rico, who who got our campus ministry to where it is, and it wouldn't be there without him or Pastor Mark Constantino, who wouldn't be there without, you know, we wouldn't be where we are without, without them. They attend and they're just having fun. You know, they're, they're buying stuff. They're buying the merchandise. They're buying the merch. <laughs> yeah, they're going around and taking pictures with one another. And every time I run into them, they're like, hey, good job. And I'm like, any, any comments? And they go, no, just keep doing it. I'll let you know afterwards. And they're, just, they're just happy to be there. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm, I'm getting from you with Pastor Jim. And that's telling me I could do a better job at that. Because for me, what I'm feeling is just awkward. Like, I don't want to be the center of attention or anything like that. So I don't want to receive. Mm. You know, that's what's going on with me. Like, I don't want to receive because you might be burdened. But mm. they want to give. So if you would just receive, then we could get over with that transaction and be normal people again. Mm-hmm. And that's what Pastor Jim's good at. He's good at receiving. Yeah. And it makes us, it actually empowers us. It does. Because we're like, oh, I was able to give to him. Yeah. I gave him something of value, even if it's yeah. just a glass of chocolate. Oh, no, but that's high value. Yeah, to him. Especially to him. <laughs> it's super high value, especially to him. I think this is really super important. I think there's a, um, I think the Western church has a history of passing on spiritual legacies in the forms of denominations and institutions that can go cold and, mm, um, yeah. and, and, and maybe don't remain with the level of vibrancy that they once were. I mean, you can go kind of down the main drag, church drag here in Corvallis and see monuments to wow. churches, you know, that once were representing denominations, but the life of the gospel has, you know, has been gone for a while. Hmm. Um, and so we, like, we don't want that, but you also see such incredible tension of, you know, spiritual fathers being able to transition well to spiritual sons, you know, really seeing next generational transfer and not just like, Hey, I'm going to run my race and dump it on you, Mm -hmm. but Hey, I'm going to actually run my race, run alongside you in the race Mm -hmm. and then let you kind of take over as I start Mm -hmm. slowing down and can't keep up anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, don't, it doesn't seem very, very common about that. that, Yeah. that, That happens. And we have an enemy very real, you know, who, yeah. who doesn't want that to happen. Yeah. And I feel like we don't recognize that attack as often. Yeah. Because there are valid complaints with the previous generation to the next one. Oh, for sure. There are valid ones with the next to the previous. So we think those are the issues, not realizing that maybe there's a deeper issue here. Like he's scoring a bigger win on us by us letting him take that. I remember uh, maybe the most recent one for me when I had a temptation to be offended with our leaders was uh, last year at our conference, at our campus conference. We just had our, uh, it was like 13,000 people, 30, 33, 34 nations from around uh, the world were there, which was massive. We had uh, over a thousand internationals, which was a major win for us. And uh, 
I don't think he'll mind me telling the story. Uh, um, we had our pre-conference before that, and many of the senior pastors were going to attend. But the ones from Metro Manila, which is the capital of the Philippines, weren't able to go because Pastor Ferdi Kabiling, who leads our Metro Manila churches, had called for a meeting. So the Metro Manila pastors called me and said, Joe, we can't go because Ferdy called for a meeting at the same day as your pre-conference. We want to go. Could you call him and say, why would you call for a meeting then? So I called Pastor Ferdy and I knew this would be easy. And I said, Pastor Ferdy, um, your guys want to go and I, I'd love for you guys to be there. I'd love it. Personally, I made, I've got slots for all of you. I'm sorry I didn't tell you beforehand that you could be there. I, th- I guess you're just being respectful by not, show, by not showing up. And he goes, yeah, I, d- I didn't want to demand it from you. I didn't know if you had stuff going on, so I didn't want to demand it from you. But if you want us there, I'd love to be there. I'll cancel my meeting. And then he said this, and this is where I got ticked off. He said, you know, because if you want us there like parents at a kid's recital, then gra- gladly, I'd gladly be there for you. Hmm. I remember hanging up and thinking, a kid's recital, excuse me, this is going to be the best conference we've ever had. <laughs> it's definitely one of the most expensive conferences we've ever had. You you haven't run a conference that had a thousand internationals in it. Excuse me, Pastor. Like, I just got this huge anger inside hmm. of me. Like, I was just, I cannot believe he said that to me. So that's how he sees me. This whole time, that's how he sees me. Everything I'm doing is a kid's recital to him. It's, like, it's a bunch of kids messing up, messing up on stage. And he has to clap because he has no choice. Like that, that's what he thinks this is. No wonder he has no, all of these right. thoughts are in my head. The event came and went. And, and we were cool at the event. You know, I, I didn't mind it. I, I didn't think it, it lodged in my soul mm-hmm. until a week later, my dad called me because he wasn't at the event. He was at Singapore. He goes, how was your event? I said, it was great. It was great. It's just sometimes some passes. And that's how you know it's not over because you keep bringing it up. <laughs> if you bring it up and there's still pain, it's not over. You got to deal right. with that. And so I said, just Pastor Ferdy said this. And I, you know, that just tells me that these, this, this church doesn't really believe in the next generation. I started go, talking that way. Mm-hmm. And I love my dad for this. He cut me off and he said, stop, 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 stop that. And he, he, he called me out on it and he said, you know, Ferdy, and you know how he's raised you and you know how he's invested in you. You know how in our apostolic team meetings, he always makes sure that campus is represented. Mm-hmm. That guy's gone to bat for you so many times. Mm-hmm. When your conference four years ago went over budget, he didn't ask you to pay for it. He paid for it. So it goes, bam, 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 all of these different things. So this is probably just an English language problem with him. He was trying to tell you he believes in you, and this is the only way he knows how to say that. You know, could that be the case? Yeah, you're right. And a month later was Pastor Ferdy's birthday. And I just appreciated it. I said, Pastor Ferdy, this is what happened. Remember when you said that to me? And he goes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of got offended. Why? Why would you find that offensive? <laughs> I'm like, that, that's exactly the point, Pastor Ferdy. You weren't trying to be offensive. Wow. So do we have an enemy. But it took another father to help you understand yeah. that father, you know. Sometimes God himself will do that. Like that yeah. story I told at the World Conference a few years ago where... I got mad at Pastor Rice, Pastor Steve, and my dad at the same time. That's like the holy trinity of anger right there. That's Yeah. They all deserved it. But <laughs> <laughs> they kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it had to be God to be like, I, what, I think what God told me at that point was, uh, are you going to miss what I'm doing here? You know, because you want to be angry at these people. Yeah. And I think we got to watch out for that. Yeah. It's subtle, isn't it? Yeah. There's these subtle moments where we can... It's one thing to be taken offense, but then we have to consider, are we taking offense at what was said or what we think someone meant by what they said, Ouch, but the yeah, motivation yeah. behind their words. 
And then we all, and then we get to choose like, well, do I want to choose this action bring into division? Like there's a choice involved with offense. Like I don't have to be offended by this. I can either just dismiss what he said or assume he meant the best in what he said, or I can really like, I can really allow this to, and it seems like that's where, um, that's where the devil's right. Really trying to bring in division into that moment. Right. Like, of course these conflicts happen. Um, and they would have required the simplest of conversations to resolve them, but not when yeah. you're assuming the wrong motive and yeah. not when you're actively choosing to separate relationship. And it's like, that's the stuff where the stuff really starts going yeah. south, you know? And uh, yeah. Interesting about division because that's where you can lose the game so much. And we focus on other things. Was it Kobe who was talking about Phil Jackson or, or Pippen where they do research on the game, on the team that they're coming up with. It's not just the, 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 the tendencies, the moves, how they defend you, how you defend them. But they figure out stuff like, whose contract is up for renegotiation? No. Yeah. And they'll definitely- That makes total sense. And yeah. And they will double team that guy so that he can't score because he's trying So he's going to be even more frustrated. He's going to be frustrated. Because if your contract's coming up, you need to perform really well And to they'll get it. give whoever they think that guy's jealous of an open look. Whoa. Super. Like, I was like, that Dude, that's is, some devious stuff right there. It's sick. It's really that's sick. That's super devious. I was like, man, that's like devil, you know, <laughs> oppression at the, at the, in, the, in the basketball that's game. That's like Illuminati level, like right. House of Cards so kind of stuff, guy you know what I mean? shows up at, at, in timeouts, at halftime, and he's just mad. He's not having any of it. He's not celebrating the fact that they're scoring. He's not celebrating whether that guy's get, getting the, the game of his life. He can't think because he's thinking, I'm going to lose a few million now because I'm, I'm having a sucky game. They're going to use this against me when we renegotiate. And I feel like we're losing games that way hmm. where we're so focused on what was the play That's really and good. who's taking the shot. And the devil's like, yeah, 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 but I know you've got a father wound and I know he has a tendency to poke at that thing. I'm going to let him keep doing that. Yeah. And you're going to walk away and I won. Yeah. You know, and he's going to do that. I know you have this strength and his strength is totally different and together they would be amazing but because you're so different I'm going to turn them against each other. Sure. And he's going to let us have those small he's going to let you take that shot like that guy was open and let you keep having your shot and you're like wow I'm scoring not realizing we're actually losing at a bigger and deeper level than, than we realize. We had Keith Tower and uh, he's a former NBA player mm-hmm. you know, here just a couple weeks ago. And we were on the right in the plane uh, together telling a lot of old basketball stories together. Okay. And I think entertaining most of the plane as we're telling him because he's telling stories about Shaq and Michael wow. Jordan and stuff like that. And I'm telling stories about my high school buddies. But, uh, <laughs> but it's like uh, disparity there. Yeah. He told me the story like, you know, in high school when he was just an all star and getting recruited everywhere. Like they, you know, he was this huge guy and really good. Mm-hmm. He had a good score. And they would double and triple team him literally every play because that's the only way that you stop him. But they uh-huh. had another guy on the team and he was a, he was a pretty good player. He wasn't like Keith's level, but pretty good. But because Keith was getting double and triple teamed every play, he averaged like something like 20, 25 points a game, you know, like just the other really guy did, yeah. yeah, the other guy did. But the other guy wasn't getting recruited. And so, like, his parents were always super mad. Like, you know, why, oh, why aren't they, wow. you know, why aren't they recruiting our son? He's just as good. His, yeah, yeah. his scoring average is higher. Or more, yeah. yeah wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, and it, it was all because, well, like, sheesh, if I was just getting single teamed the way this guy was, I'd be dropping 50. You know, yeah, yeah. Keith's mindset. Like, you just don't have that perspective sometimes. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, and I think that... Gosh, that, that plays out so many times, right? Where we don't realize the dynamics. There's some people that are taking oh, yeah. bullets for yeah. us, you yep. know, and there's some leaders that are taking, 
you know, taking all the, the difficult stuff and just setting us up for our success. You mm -hmm. know, for me, that's where the honoring of the next generation comes from. It's like, yeah. I just realized they've walked through hell and yeah. so that I wouldn't have to. So I could have the green pastures, you know, at least more of them. You Super. Know? Yeah. We had that conversation with one of our, our bishops back in the Philippines. And I was talking to him about, like, I described nightmare scenarios we're dealing with back home. So this was like two weeks ago. And I said, why are some of, so many of our senior pastors like this? I said, especially in the provinces. They're just so used to like dominant leadership and not collaborative leadership. Don't they see the difference? And he gave me a perspective that I, I, I didn't really appreciate until he said it. He said, Joseph, I agree with you that if they were more collaborative, they would get to a thousand. Right now they're at a hundred, but they would get to a thousand if they, if they only knew that. I agree with you and we got to help them get there. But you got to realize to get from zero to a hundred, they had to be that way. Hmm. Back then, we didn't have the superstructure we have now. We didn't have the technology and the means of communication that we have now. When we sent someone to the province, they were on their own. It was sink or swim. These men and women, you know, the, the, the pastors and their wives and the families and the leaders around them, they had, to, they had to be strong. They had to, it's me or nothing. You know, it's me and God. That's the mindset they needed to have in order to survive. And, that's, and to me, it was like, I need to tell my younger guys this Yes. because I'm looking at them and we're at a hundred looking at a thousand saying, we're not getting there because of you and not realizing, but we got here yeah. because of you. Yep. Now they need to change to get to a thousand, but I need to change to acknowledge that we, we wouldn't be here without them. hundred percent. They needed to be that way. hundred percent. That's why it's so hard. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think that our church here in Corvallis is where it's at, largely because of the team I was given to start, you mm -hmm. know, and I think that's something I could work with. But I can't imagine starting with zero. I, I really Same. don't think I don't Same. think I have I don't think I have a, a you know, from zero to 100 kind of church plan. Yep, in me, you yep. know, if I had to back up against the wall, like like full on my knees prayer, dependence on the Holy Spirit. Like, yeah, but I don't think that would be easy for me. Agree. And Same. we planted two churches in the last couple of years in Eugene and in Portland here in Oregon. And, uh, and they're doing that. So I think, you know, size wise, they're a lot different than where we are, you know, growth wise are a little bit slower than where we are and stuff like that. But I'm looking at, so they're looking, you know, like back at me, like, Hey, what's your wisdom? How can you yeah. help? And I'm looking, I'm like, dude, you guys are way beyond yep, yep. my leadership and what yep. you're doing now. I don't know that I could replicate. Like you guys are phenomenal and amazing. Mm -hmm. And I think we just lose that, 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 uh, that context yes. for what it takes to lead at all those different levels. I love that humility that you have. I, I feel the same way with, with our team back home because I was I was not a campus director for long locally in the Philippines I got sucked into planning our school and running things nationally I always tell our local guys you're unlocking stuff that I never got to unlock in my time you're reaching milestones that I never reached when I was on the field and that's what I have to remember that's why leaders aren't always the best they just have to be the leader right. you know so you're better than me at that. That's, uh, that's why when people ask me, like, hey, I'm starting a new campus ministry, what should I do? Uh, first thing is you wouldn't ask Joe. You know, <laughs> like, go to Robert, go to Maya. She would know, go to Babes. She's really good at that. That's, that's her name. So, okay, that's yeah. an actual name. Yeah, that's an actual name. Her real name's Baby. And so you choose. That's her real name? Her real name. Is her brother Bong? <laughs> that wouldn't be too far. There are, I'm sure there are baby Bong, dozens and hundreds of families, yeah. With, with that kind of combo. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fair enough. I'm sure there's all kinds of American names that when you translate them over to, is there any that you can think of? Any, no. Can, no, none? No, none, none, none. Because our, our words, you know, don't sound like your words. They're all no. short vowel sounds. So, a, e, i, o, u. So, any long sound like a, e, 
I owe you. We don't have those words. Mm. So, so our names just don't register in your... It's, it's a name. Yeah, it's just a it's name. It's not funny. Uh, it's not... <laughs> yeah. It's not so <laughs> what, what do you do that would be... I guess it's, it's, it's the upfrontness of Americans that, that, that Filipinos always get taken aback by. Mm. Like, I'm very upfront and confrontational in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And then I come here and I'm like, I'm Filipino. I'm very clearly... <laughs> I can feel... Uh, the Filipinoness in really? me. It just takes. That's a, regional, though. I think that's a bit regional. Is it? Okay. Yeah. East Coast. Oh man, they're very confrontational. Oh, not even confrontational. But you know when people go up and hey, how are you doing? Like, like. Oh, 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 friendly. Like on the street, like kind of. Yeah, you know, see, like, like that. You used friendly, oh, and I used up front. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, like East Coast are. Um, they can be way more confrontational. In fact, I have a buddy who's who runs a engineering company here. They have another branch over in Boston, and like he gets corrected all the time. He's technically the boss, but they're like, could you just tell us what we're doing wrong, please? And stop being nice. Cause he's being polite. Yeah, yeah. He's being polite. Like you guys are doing great at this and this and this, maybe one thing I would improve would be in there. You know, all of that build up. For- yeah. Just knock it off, man. Just give us the real, you know, what do you, you know, just tell us, you know? Um, but no, I, I noticed that like I go to Europe and my goodness, like it's, it's another, like this, everyone's heads down. No one acknowledges here. I realize right, how right. friendly people are. Yeah. When I come back, you it's wouldn't a, walk past people without making eye contact or saying hi, if, you know, oh, for yeah. the most part, yes. it's pretty normal. But no, not, not in the Philippines. Yeah, I, I think a lot of other places, that's We'd not be like, true. Who's that guy? That's you really know, like, weird. Why is he of course, this so is much? a small town too. So maybe that's, that's part of it, but I don't know. That, oh, wow. Yeah. I come from a big city. Yeah. So small town, uh, mechanics are very fascinating to me. Yeah. Small town, white people, Oregon, Northwest. We don't get outside very much cause it rains so much. So we're all super pale. We're... Don't not used to the sun. So when we're actually the sun's out and we all see each other, we're like, "Oh, I haven't seen you in like nine months. This is incredible." You know, like, wow. "Hey, how are you?" How, how's you? I'm not used to how quickly Caucasian sunburn. Also, some of us, yeah. the redheads. Oh my goodness. Oh, yeah. okay. so it's not I mean, every Caucasian. Well, no, there's there's a variation. I mean, like oh. I, I was just telling about my friend, the engineer. Like he's got a lot of Sicilian blood in him. You know, so more of a deeper olive. Okay. Kind of so yes, I've, I've never seen that. him or his kids sunburn, but they tan up like that. I mean, yeah. they go near Latino level, you know, with only a couple of weeks into summer. You know? yeah, so, yeah. Um, uh, I'm, I'm pretty fair, you know, pretty blonde, so I can definitely burn pretty easy. But yeah, there's a scale, man. And the redheads, like they like just look at the sun for two seconds and they got to start slathering 50 SPF on them. Ouch. Yeah, yeah. Ouch. No, so yeah, there's, there's a scale for sure. No, I'd have to be out for a week to get sunburned. Really? Yeah, with nothing. That's a gift, like, man. A few days. That's a gift. Yeah. It's funny how fi- uh, our culture is all about getting white and fair. Oh, you want to get paler. Yeah. Yeah, because that was like a thing, right? Like that, mm-hmm. that, you know, like in some cultures, like even being overweight, you know, was a sign that of opulence. You mm-hmm. had wealth and so forth, you know, or being paler. You didn't have to be a laborer out yeah, in the yeah, sun kind yeah. of a thing. Yeah. I yeah so that. ours, that's it. So um, pills, creams, soaps, shampoos, everything to get white. Really? Yep. And we're going to, we have literally <laughs> creams and tanning booths and everything to get darker. Yeah. If, if we, if there was a booth, we're, we're getting running the other, we're running the other direction. Yes. It, if we could just swap them and be like, can you be happy? Yeah. <laughs> can you just look at yourself and thank God for how he made you and just so be grateful interesting. for that. So interesting. Yeah. I have no idea why someone would want to be paler. You don't look healthier when you're paler. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, but there's actual like discrimination happening. Like even before, I don't sure. know even until now, but even within families, 
Like the the fairer kids will be favorites. Mm. Really? Yep. For no other reason. I can only imagine that the you know imperialism, colonialism, yep. stuff like That's that has has a lot to do mm-hmm. with that, right? When the when the pale guys come over and they start yeah. taking over stuff, you know, like it. And there's a lot of um, you know because the whole stratification began with that. Mm. So the closer you were to the Spanish colonizers. Uh, the more your name sounded Spanish, the more you looked Spanish, the more you lived close to them, the more, the more that wealth would trickle down on you, you know, and, and you would feel it. So that's, that's massive for the, for the Philippines. If, if, there, if we have a, like a stronghold, you know, like a demonic stronghold, it would be rejection and insecurity would be a, a massive one nationally. You're not alone in that. But the way it manifests might be might Ooh, be unique. Wow, that's helpful. Man, Thank gosh, you. I, yeah, I don't know who doesn't deal with rejection and insecurity. Right, right. Um, man, I know a lot of people of color, minorities in the U.S. That's I mean, that's huge. Right, right. Um, yeah, the the whole sense of almost white supremacy, or mm-hmm. and sometimes that's a real scary word that we instantly attach to KKK or you know really extreme kind of groups. But just kind of the basic idea that lighter is mm-hmm. better mm-hmm. you know whiter is just better it's it's more physically appealing it comes with privileges that you want and so there's you just kind of pulled in that direction and so there's that there's that insecurity and, and feeling like who i am needs to be more like the standard of beauty which is oftentimes looks more like the white skinny supermodel kind of type or, right and now that you've mentioned the the diversity of of of, of people groups here and ethnic groups here i think that's one of the strengths of our American churches. You guys have discussions, and I'm sure it doesn't always feel like a strength to you because you're like, man, it just complicates my life a lot more. But you have an ability to, you, you, you need to have an ability <laughs> to connect to different people groups here in this country. Mm. Unlike in the Philippines where it's you know mostly Filipino, we do have regional issues, but then it's not nowhere near as significant because, you know, he might be from a different region, but he looks exactly like me. And I wouldn't know until we started talking to each other. But uh, what you have here, the churches to, for, to be healthy, to be successful here, you've got that, that, that um, discipline, that awareness of people around you and sensitivity to all of these different things. I well, envy that. Well, we need to have that. Yes, you need I, to I, have unfortunately, that. Unfortunately, I don't think we have that as much as we should. You know, um, you definitely have it more. But we have more of a pressure to. Yeah. We're not that much now. Like a place like Oregon uh, is not as diverse. As okay. A lot of the places, and Corvallis especially is not. Uh, is, is it's very white in general. I mean, we've got a Hispanic and some mm-hmm. Asian population. Because of the university, we actually have an international population here and so forth, but the African-American population is is, is, is quite small. Um, but we do value diversity. Yes, and so we actually yes. progressively pursue that as yes. a church. Um, and, you know, across the country, I think that is what more and more people are trying to pursue, but they're finding it difficult because there's different cultural expressions of the way churches look and then historical mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, ways that, that, you know, whether it's whites and whatever other group have related to each other that's mm-hmm, difficult mm-hmm. and then who who's leading the thing and Ooh, then is that going to yeah, express yeah. like is that an expression of their whiteness or their blackness will a white person follow a black pastor will a black person follow a white pastor mm-hmm. like, and there's all it goes on and on and on it's not easy um, but it sure does look amazing on the brochure when you've got white hands and black hands all and, raised together and in to worship me, more than thing. just the brochure the fact that you're having these considerations are massive. having to think about that is yeah. important even if you don't have all the right answers because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. those, those issues of reconciliation and relationship and and self-awareness mm-hmm. and all acknowledgement of history and past and 
I mean, it's all healthy stuff you should be having to deal with, even if you don't have easy answers. I'll give an example. I was in yeah. an Asian nation, not going to say which one, and we were talking about other Asian nations, like just out of fun, like cuisines. We were talking about cuisines. Okay. And then one of the people in the room who was a very senior leader in that nation starts talking about just how ugly people from that nation are. Ooh. And I was just in shock. I was thinking, <laughs> you can't say that. When is she going to stop? <laughs> Like, and, oh, this is normal. And, and the other people, they weren't, like, agreeing out, right? But they were like, this is normal conversation material. Really? And I was like, oh, my. So, honestly, for all of the, I don't know why mm. people like to do that in America, like, make fun of America or talking about how bad America is. Really? I, I think someone's commented on that about how... We're so self-deprecating or self-hating kind of thing? Yeah, especially... And if, if I'm completely out of bounds and forgive me for this, but talked about how white people like to trash other white people mm. um, and, you know, just be ethnic with whoever they're with. But there's a lot of strength here. And that's why I love uh, the potential mm. for the church here for the rest of the world. And that's why, honestly, like I, I tell Nick, our, our campus director here, that um, Nick, what you guys are doing in America, I think you're, you're building muscles that so much of the rest of the world isn't building because they don't have to, mm. but you are. Yeah. And so if you could just get to, I, I keep telling him, like, if you could just get this health that we have with your smarts, with everything you're already doing, with all of the, with the resources yeah, the and resources, the diversity and, and everything else. Cause those are resources. Those you are know? resources. Yeah. You've made it harder for yourself. It's like those people who tie weights to their feet and then they, they learn how to run so that their muscles are just, I don't know if that's really effective, but this resistance training, you have so much resistance that to get anywhere, you've got to be good. And that's why I said earlier in the beginning, pound for pound, I think you guys are really good. If we could find that health to walk together, to stay strong together, an army of people like yeah. that, you know, like a body, a movement, an organization of people like that, a team of people like that, how strong would that be? Yeah. You know, so... I value, I, I, I love our movement here. I treasure it. I, when I get to talk to you, I get to visit in, with in, our friends in Nashville or, or, or um, even the guys in Orlando, when I get to talk to Tom Breckwald and all those guys, I'm thinking, wow, I, I feel like it's, if we could just get it to work together. Yeah. We feel like it's just messy here and it's hard and it's difficult. We have to have a lot of hard conversations. Yeah. We have to have them often now, especially with just the nature of the past couple of years, uh -huh. political climate, social climate, mm -hmm. every, everything else going on. It's really hard conversations. Mm -hmm. But uh, I love your perspective. You're saying the hard conversations is actually developing muscles. Um, that we don't have to develop back yeah. home. Yeah. And that those, those need to be, those aren't just being developed for their own sake, but yep. it's actually for maybe the sake of the world for totally uh, like a place to actually serve the world and demonstrate hopefully what meaningful reconciliation leadership cross-culturally yeah. could look like. I, I certainly hope that's true. I, I mean, that's why I'm, I'm quite passionate about wanting to be uh, a multicultural church and do our best effort at doing that. It forces you to lead differently, not quite as wow. not quite as just centered around your own thoughts and opinions, a way of seeing things, but it forces you to consider others, which I think just church has to do. You yeah. have to consider not just what you're saying, but what's being heard yeah. and what you're being heard across lines and having, it's only in conversation with an other that you can really clarify, I think, 
who you are, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. like to understand even yourself, you almost need to have someone that doesn't look like you think like you come from your background and so that you can understand where you're unique and distinct and yeah, yeah. the value and contributions that you have. Uh-huh. Um, and then also like understanding where maybe you don't have a fully formed opinion or shouldn't have a fully formed opinion on some subjects. Yeah. Yeah. Because there are experiences you don't have. Yep. Yeah. And I think those are important too. Yeah. That's what I love about visiting here. It's like, Oh, I don't have a stand on that. I've never encountered that. What would be my stand on that? You know, cause usually you meet someone with a perspective on it to like, okay, he sounded right. And you talk to somebody else who has a completely different perspective and, and they've got a point. Right. And you're like, whoa. Yeah. Such a diversity of possible options and opinions here. Yeah. And to me, I, I know it can be stressful. I'm sure it's probably stressful to a lot of people, but there's a lot of strength and potential energy there that if we could somehow harness it, man, that would be massive. Uh, this has been really fun. Thank you. Really fun conversation. So I'm really grateful that you're here uh, speaking tonight to, to our students. Or and, no, you're speaking tomorrow yeah. to our students. So you got another day. And Seth, thanks for doing this podcast. That's really fun. We were talking about it last year. I'm so yeah, glad. Yeah, no, this is, so any of you listening, Joseph is the reason <laughs> this all got started. Uh, I, I mean, I had this in my mind to do some of this, but it was our conversation that we had at a student conference where we were kind of dreaming about what a co- podcast could look like. And that's what was the catalyst. But you went and thing. ran with it. You put time, you put money, you put effort. And really, that's how leaders do stuff. You know, it's like, you can forgive me later. You can correct me in the process, but I got to keep going. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Thank you. Yeah, it's been super fun to have you. I hope, that, uh, hope we get you back here in Oregon at some point. No, I have lo- to. My I, wife said I have to bring her back here. She wants to come. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're going to give her the fine Oregon experience. <laughs> Is she afraid of the outdoors? No, she oh, loves that. That's good. why she doesn't like living in Manila. Oh. It's just the sense of a call and all of that. But other than that, she would the trees, the mountains. I'm going to show it all, man. Everything. The waterfalls. We're going to take, we're going to. There you go. Should be in tears. Seriously. Excellent. Can't wait. Well, it's going to be super fun. Thank you. Joseph, thanks for your time. And thank you all for listening to Church in the Wild.